0: Hope everybody's doing well uh, this morning. My name is Brian Lamb, as Jason said, if I haven't had the pleasure to meet you, I hope I I get to at some point. Um, I have the privilege of serving here at Salt Rock Church as the pastor of community and missions. And I I like to point out every time I'm up here that it is truly a joy and an honor of mine to be able to open the word of God with all of you today. If you wanna turn in your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there in Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. And so as you're getting there, um, you know, we are continuing, as Jason said, in this series titled A Church on Mission. And I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed just sitting here and, and kind of for this spring and focusing on the mission that we are on as followers of Jesus Christ. In this series, we've been preaching through our vision here at Saul Rock as well, which is to make disciples through gathering together in worship, growing together in community, and living the mission. And in this series, we're kind of looking at how this vision plays out throughout the church. We spent time on gathering in worship. We have spent time on growing together in community as well. And as Jason said, we've been kind of focusing inwardly on, on kind of this movement of the church this mission of the church inward. But while that's a very important part of the vision, a very important part of the mission of the church, without this last part, it would be an incomplete vision. And so today we're going to kind of look at this last part of this series. Today we'll be seeing uh, the first of really three sermons on what living the mission is what this is to look like as Christ's followers and what it means for us. And so this is how we express, as Jason said, this mission outside of these walls in our everyday lives, how we as followers of Jesus are impacting our families, our community, and our world through building intentional relationships with people that we might show and display the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Now, usually when we talk about missions in the church, we like to think about a task. We like to think about jobs and and programs or an event that we are to attend. Or we talk about all the things that we're doing and we're involved with or all the places that we're going and the trips that we're taking, all the ministries that we've started and all the programs that we have begun. And while all of those things are great things, it's a great discussion to have. It's great questions and, and, and topics to talk about. If we start there without understanding the motivation of missions and without understanding the core of us as believers and how that works in the mission of the church, then we may have a lot of programs, but they're going to be pretty lifeless. We may have a lot of things for you to do, but few people who actually do them. And so today we're going to start really at looking this, at this outward movement by looking at the inward core of the believer and how we are motivated to do and to be on missions. And so to be on the mission. And so, you know, like I, I really love that part of the vision, living, it's my favorite part I think, is living the mission. You know, we could have just put the mission at the end of the vision, called it good, nobody would have ever known. There's a reason that we put living before the mission, and that is that it causes us to view and to see missions as not just something that we go and we do or not just some event, but as a part of our lifestyle, as a part of who we are as a church, As a part of our DNA and our identity as Christ followers. And so today what we're going to do is really I want to answer the question of why missions is in fact a lifestyle. While it's not just something that you show up to from time to time when your schedule allows you to. Why it's not just some trip that you take. It's not just some event that you attend. But that it is a very part of who we are as Christians. It is engraved into our DNA as Bible-believing, born-again Christians. And so, also, though, I want us to see, and while we begin to look at this lifestyle, we're going to see that the great motivation, the great goal that is behind the Great Commission, behind this living for the mission. Is the glory of our Father who is in heaven. That is why we make disciples of the nations, for His glory. And so we're gonna kind of try to capture all that today. So we got a lot of work to do. So, Matthew 5, starting in verse 13, we're gonna start kind of in the beginning of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And so if you look at verse 13, if you don't have a Bible and uh, you're visiting with us today, we want to let you know that there is a Bible underneath your seat, and we'd love for you to take that home with you. That's our free gift to you today. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. And so if you'll start with me in verse 13, it says, "'You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how should saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet.'" You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before, before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so I want to start out with two very important words here. Very significant for us to understand the fullness of this passage, and those two words are, you are. If you look at the beginning of verse 13 and 14, you see that Jesus states, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. As Christians, we are changed people. When, when Jesus has been revealed to us, and we have placed our faith in him, we are not only... Um, Of him, but, or sorry, we are of him. We are then united to him. We not only know him, we're united to him. And so, in the same way, we not only know the light, but the light is within us and we become light. And so, we are able to see, when we are able to see and taste the goodness and the glory of Jesus Christ, we are then representatives of that goodness, of that glory to a world around us. In 2 Corinthians 5, the the last part, Paul begins to say that if we have believed in the gospel, if we are in Christ, that the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come, that you and I are a new creation, that we have been reconciled to God and are now ministers of that reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, his messengers, and he is making his appeal to others through us. God is using us to change peoples, not not just their temporal lives, but their eternal state. And so something that we really need to see here and grasp here is that when Jesus says you are, this is an identifying statement from Jesus. He is making sure that we understand that we belong to him. We are his. We are identified with the light. If you think of it this way, if, if you're you know, posting a picture on Instagram or you tweet out a picture of yourself and you're trying to capture who you are in the Christ, then you would you know, have your picture and your name and then you'd have a hashtag salt and hashtag light on it. I'm doing that Jimmy Fallon thing if you've ever seen that. It's kind of funny. But anyways, you know, so that's the point that Jesus is trying to get across here. He's saying that that, that this is who we are. By the power of the gospel, you and I have been transformed. We have been made new. Jesus has performed heart surgery on us to where he has taken that heart of stone and sin and rebellion and replaced it with a new heart of devotion, of reconciliation, of grace. We are now living representatives of God's powerful love here throughout the earth. This is the mission of God and the mission to which he calls us to. And I think the reason that so many of us struggle with this living the mission, I don't, I don't know about you, but you can just be honest today. I struggle with this part. I do. I'm not great at it. It's because we have a hard time of understanding our new identity as missionaries. We think, oh, well, missionaries, those are just the people that go overseas, Or those are just the super spiritual people that live for God. Or those are just the people that attend the mission trips. And the problem with that line of thinking is that for all Christians, the mission is a part of the new identity in Christ. He didn't just give it to some. It's a part of all of our new identity in Jesus Christ. It's not because of a trip we've taken. It's not because of a task that we've completed, but it's because we are carriers of that light if we are united to Jesus. It's not a title. It's not a hashtag we're trying to achieve. It's his light in us. We are his vessels. And while our sin does seek to dim this light as we neglect Jesus as we look to other sources of this light, or we look to ourselves, or we try to be our own source, Jesus, he's saying here simply, if you are my followers, you are the light and you are the salt because I am the light and the salt, and I am in you. I have achieved everything for you. So humble yourself and let my light shine through you. The reason Jesus says you are and identifies us as light is not because we have everything together. It's not because we've formed all these programs. It's not because we've attended all of these events, even if it's been in his name. It's not from our moral achievements to gain this title, but it's because of Christ and Christ alone and what he has done for you on your behalf. And as believers in him, you and I are united to him and thus are representatives of him. And Jesus, the true light that shines in the darkness, is shining through those whom are his. And so we're going to break down all four of these verses to kind of help us see more of this identity, and then we're going to just talk about what this looks like day in and day out. And so if you'll follow with me, uh, and, and we'll read verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so Jesus says here, you are the salt of the earth. You and I, we are the salt of the earth. But if you and I don't have the saltiness, then we're no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and walked over. And we'll kind of come back to that. But first of all, Jesus, he's telling us here that you and I, as Christ followers, are to be salty people. Now, I used to use the word salty as kind of a slang word for like meaning, man, that's awesome. Or that's, that's just crazy. So I'm, I'm thinking of it as like, you know, Jordan dunking from the free throw line. Like, man, that guy is salty. Or that was salty. And what I've learned through student ministry and uh, the trusted resource of Urban Dictionary is that it actually means that you're bitter or that you're upset or you're cranky or you're mad or whatever it is. Like, so, you know, somebody disses somebody and you're like, oh, man, they're salty, right? That's how we use it. Either way, Jesus, he's not thinking 2016 Urban Dictionary here and using the word salt. He has a specific reason for why he's using that word. And that's because salt is a huge commodity in our world today and especially back in the days of Jesus. And so let's see. First, salt is a preservative. It preserves food from going bad. You know, back in the olden days, they may have had their two camel garages at the house, but they didn't have a refrigerator. They used salt to preserve food, right? They relied on salt to to cause food to not go bad and to not be poisoned from bacteria. Salt was also used as a way to, to clean wounds, to help people heal, and finally it added flavor. It made things taste better. And so there's a really, salt was a very, very big deal back in the days of Jesus. Wars were fought over salt. Economies were built off of salt. And so let's connect why he uses this as an illustration. And so in the same way that salt preserves food from going bad, we are to be as salt in the earth with a message that preserves people from being corrupted by their sin that leads them towards an eternal death that they might have life in Jesus. In the same way that salt is used to help cleanse wounds, we have a message for the earth that cleanses people from the wounds of their sin and heals their brokenness. In the same way that salt adds flavor and helps things taste better, we have a message of good news that nourishes and satisfies a hungry soul. And as Christ's followers, we are to be the salt of the earth for this corrupt, broken, and hungry world. Why? Because we have this message of life for a dying world. We are the ones that have this message of restoration and healing. We are the ones that have this message of eternal satisfaction and joy within the presence of God for eternity. Because we have Jesus, because we've been made new, because God saves others through those he has saved, We are the salt of the earth. We are the messengers of Jesus Christ who heals, who satisfies, who preserves. However, if we are not living as the salt of the earth and not living as though we have been saved by the power of the gospel, if we are not engaging in this mission that we have been called to to display, to um, proclaim the glory of God, then we have lost our saltiness. No longer salty people. And what he says here is that we're really good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled over, to be walked upon. Those are very strong words, a great warning from Jesus here we need to pay attention to. We must see that when our lives are built in the gospel and in the gospel alone of Jesus, that's what gives us our saltiness. It's not meant to just remain with us, but it's meant to be spread across the earth. We're going to get into this a little bit more as he says in verse 14, if you'll look there, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. And so here... Jesus is using this picture of light to help drive home his same point that he was using with salt. But the reference of light is very, very interesting because this illustration is used all throughout the scriptures, not just here. And there's really three main features to this light that he is talking about. The first one is one that comes as we see that Jesus refers to himself as the light. These will be on the screen, and you can jot them down if you want to. But in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 1, 4, John says, In him, meaning Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. And so one main feature of this light is that it brings life. If you think about it, Would we have life on this earth without light? No, we wouldn't. Therefore, this reference of light is showing us that in the light, there is life to be found. And Jesus is the light, and in Jesus, there is life to be found, a salvation from death, from darkness. John 12, 46 says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And so one part of what Jesus is saying to us by referring to the light is that for all of those who believe, we not only have light, but we are now carriers of this life, giving light to others. The second feature of light is that it exposes the darkness. The, the function of light is to make truth visible. It gives direction. It gives guidance by what we are seeing. The light is an illumination of truth for you and I. And when Jesus' light shines upon us, we are given the gift of sight. And in this gift of sight, we are also exposed by that light for who we really are. We are exposed for our sin, for our depravity, for the wickedness that is inside of us. In John 3, verse 19, it says, The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness. It has exposed our love of darkness. That apart from Jesus Christ, you and I are in bondage to our sin. We are dead in our trespasses. We are haters and enemies of God. We are blind wanderers throughout the darkness and in love with this darkness and by nature are destined for the just and righteous wrath of God against our sin. This exposing light gives us sight to who we are apart from Jesus. And in that same light... We are exposed to the truth of Jesus. We are able to see him for who he is and what he has done for us. At the same time, we are given sight to who we were in our dark hearts and this side of us that lives and wants to live in darkness. We're also being able to see our deep need for a savior. We're able to see that he has come and he has achieved everything for us. That Jesus has saved sinners. We're able to see the good news and the glory and the beauty and the splendor of Jesus Christ as this light exposes us and exposes the truth as well. I'm reminded of a quote from a guy named Thomas Watson that says, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. The more bitterness we taste in sin, the more sweetness we shall taste in Christ. Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Telling us that at one time we identified with darkness. That's who we were. That's what we were walking in. But now because of Jesus, the light, we are children of the light. And so the feature of this exposing light of Jesus causes us to see the truth of who we are. To see the truth of the gospel. And then to follow that truth of the gospel and live by that truth of the gospel. First John one says for us to walk in the light as he is in the light, that in the light, we are cleansed from all unrighteousness and sin. We are forgiven. And so to walk in the light, this exposing light of Jesus is to walk in open honesty about our sin. Day in, day out, stepping into the light, letting it push back the darkness that is in our lives as we are exposed and cleansed from our sin. As we were able to see each day that our sin is leading us towards darkness and death and that Jesus is leading us towards light and life. The final feature of the light comes from the illustration that Jesus uses as he says, you are the light of the world. And then he describes that light as this city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so there's an elevation to that city because it's on a hill, right? To where everybody can see it. All of the people that are in the darkness, for the, they're out in the darkness, but there's this beaming light of hope that's coming from this city that shows that there's, in fact, life somewhere. There is safety to be had. There is security to be had. There is hope. And so light also brings hope in the midst of darkness. And so uh, a couple weeks back, many of you know, I was in the Philippines a couple weeks back, and uh, we were on this on a mission trip. Where we were gathering information for our, our future mission trips and also our family on a mission that's going to be living over there one day. And so uh, we had to travel. So we, we take like four plane rides and then we take this truck and it's like three or four hours. I got sunburned pretty bad. And uh, I was in the the one in the guinea pig in the back of the truck. And so, you know, then we get to the island and we, we, we go to, you know, to the hotel and we, we spend the night there because the, there's a ferry boat that we have to ride. That's a four hour ferry boat ride from one island to the other island for the village that we're working in. It's crazy. And so anyways, on the way back from that village, we left at about 3 a.m. We left the village about 3 a.m. to get to the other islands so that we could get to the main city to fly home. And so we're strolling through the ocean, and it's pitch dark, except those stars are beaming. They're so bright. And we've got also, though, there's this one guy at the front of the boat with this sad little flashlight, like, shining on the water, making sure we don't run into one of the 8,000 islands that's out there, right? And And I kind of want to be like, man, those stars are so bright. I just want to be like, bro, you don't need that sad little flashlight. Like, it's not doing anything. Uh, Except I'm this big, friendly Texan, and Filipinos don't know how to act to to me. Like, when I go and talk to them, they're like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to me? Why are you so friendly? Why are you yelling? Yeah. And so, you know, it's funny to me. But... I, you know, they're like, seriously, I'm walking through the market and they are staring at me, pointing at me, laughing, snickering. I'm like thinking, okay, this has got to be my good looks, right? That's what it has to be, right? But probably not because they're laughing and they're sticking. I don't think they've ever seen a person as big as me in the Philippines. I think that's what it is. I'm not sure. But anyway, that's a whole other story. So anyways, we're back to here. We're in this, the sea and it's dark out there. But because of the light that is coming from the stars, it created an ability for us to see. To see the, the path, to, to know where to go, to, to follow the right direction, Light shows that there is life, that that it exposes the darkness so that we would know the way and it gives us hope and security that we wouldn't be lost. The Christian's life, the Christian's influence in this world is to be visible. It's to be obvious, not secret, not hidden. It's to be this way so that others would find this light. He drives this home in his second illustration with some of what I like to call his divine comedy. As he says, no one would ever light a lamp and then put it under a basket, would they? How crazy is that? He's saying, no, like, when you light a lamp, you you put it on a stand so that it lights up the whole house. This is so simple. What are you doing? Put it under a basket? Like, Think how crazy that would be if we're, you know, trying to look for something in our house and it's dark in there and we, you know, turn a lamp on. But then we go and we cover that lamp. We're not going to find what we're looking for and we just look like a dummy in the darkness. And so he's saying that same thing. He's saying here, our light, it's meant to shine. It's meant to shine gloriously. That's the point of it. Otherwise, It's pointless. The point of our light is so that others would see it, that they would see the source of our light, Jesus. This is why we sing, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. We don't sing, I'm gonna let it hide. That'd be weird. That'd be a very depressing kids' ministry, wouldn't it? Everybody's singing, we're gonna let it hide. See, as Christ followers, we are a reflection of the one true light of the world. Jesus himself. And the truth of Jesus is visible to all around us through us. We are like the moon. The moon in itself is not its source of light but its reflection of the sun. In the same way, our light does not come from ourselves. We haven't mustered up this light. It's not coming from our ability to to be morally excellent. It's not gaining its existence from us, but it's coming from Jesus himself. It's coming. He is the source. And what Jesus is saying is that my life-giving, truth-exposing, and hope-securing light shines through you. So don't hide it. Don't cover up what I've done for you and who I am to you and your devotion to me, but let those things be made known. Let it shine gloriously like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let it shine like a lamp on a stand that lights up the entire house that others would see that light and see me and come to me. See, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, our lives are to look this way as followers of him. We live this life not as dead people, but as people that are alive. We live this life not in the darkness of our sin, but in the light of Jesus. We are to live this life with hope, with purpose, with meaning, with joy. We're to live our lives in a way that others are going to pause and they're going to think there's something different about that person. Not like the 1950s, leave it to beaver kind of way where everybody's got everything in order and everything's perfect and it's all together, but in a life that encourages others. In a life that that gives um, grace to others that's honest, that's real, that points people not to the, the perfection of them, but to the perfection of their Savior. See, we are the salt, and we are the light. And as that, we are to engage and get involved in this corrupt world. As the salt, as the light, you and I are the ones that we are, we are to reach out to the broken, to the sick, to the prostitute, to the lost. We are to help the widow, the orphan, the poor. We are to welcome the sojourner, the foreigner, the refugee. We are to pray and love for our enemies. We are to forgive and turn the other cheek. We are to give to the one who asks, why because we have a message for this dark and broken world that is much, much more than just some temporal fix. And while we should and we can be able to meet physical needs, we have the greatest need of anyone on earth, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of eternal life, restoration, healing, and satisfaction with him. We have the hope of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for lost sinners. We have the beautiful message of the gospel that he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May we be the light in the dark. Let's finish this. In verse 16 it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What Jesus is saying here is that you and I, we have this great motivation, this great aim for doing good works. We have a driving force behind being light and being salt of the earth, and that is explicitly the glory of our Father who is in heaven. If you think about it, all of Jesus' Work, his life, his death, and his resurrection were to show the glory of God. From beginning to end, miracle to death to resurrection, it was to manifest, to display the glory of our Father who is in heaven. As he let his light shine, as he did all of his great and glorious and miraculous works, it was for the glory of his Father. And as we go about doing good works in this world, living in obedience to the Great Commission, the result is that others would see the light, that they would taste the salt, and that they would give glory to our Father because it is Him working through us. The reason this is our aim and our motivation for living the mission, for being the light and the salt, is because we know that there is no greater gift no greater love than God himself in all of his glory. And it is God that is the supreme treasure for our hearts. It it, it is God that is the ultimate joy that we long for. And it is God who works powerfully in the hearts of men and women to save them. Colossians 1 says that it is he who has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. 1 Peter 1 says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 5-7 through says that what, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water but God gave the growth and so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Salvation is the gift of God's grace not a result of works and it's not our glory that we are seeking in doing these good works but it is his glory. We boast in him. Therefore we are unashamed of this gospel and all that we are called to do for the gospel so that others would see his glory and come to salvation in him. John Calvin says it this way. When we know God to be our father should we not desire that he be known as such by all? And if we do not have this passion that all creatures do him homage? Is it not a sign that his glory means little to us? Charles Spurgeon said a little more bluntly, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself, be sure of that. See, to know God as Father is to be about his glory. To have a passion for others to know him and to see that glory because that is what he is about. And as his people, we are about him. It's in his glory that we find joy. It's in his glory that we will spend eternity. Let me ask this. If we are not about his glory in this life, what makes us think that we will be about it in heaven? Do we not get that? Christ, he has come solely to reveal the glory of God, and we share in that as followers of him. Therefore, the motivation, the the driving force of missions is the glory of our God. And so to end all of this, I want to just kind of give some practical ways of what living the mission just looks like throughout everyday life. And so living the mission in our everyday lives, it's not reinventing the will. It's been working pretty well for 2,000 years. You're here today because of it. And so it's not, that, it's not as difficult as we make it out to be. A lot of the reasons why we make it difficult is because we let fear drive us rather than the Lord. We have nothing to fear. God is the one who saves. We have nothing to fear. Living the mission isn't about us gaining our approval from him, but it's about us just being who we are. And so practical things is just simple, like getting to know your neighbors really well. Spending time in the front yard rather than in the backyard and at home and inside. Maybe going out to the community pool and trying to start a conversation with someone that you don't know. Getting involved in the homeowners association of your neighborhood. It's simple things like frequenting certain restaurants and dry cleaners and coffee shops and and mechanics so that you can be intentional with your time with those employees. It's being intentional with our time. It's being intentional with our lives that we might share the gospel with people. It's engaging with parents from your kids' extracurricular activities. It's, it's maybe it's volunteering at the school. They are in need of mentors and of parents to get involved. It's being a good steward of your resources so that you can help others that may not have resources. You can get involved with an organization that has already been established in your community. We get up here on Mission Awareness once a month and we try to highlight some of those for you. And so you can always go and talk to a mission team member and ask them how you can get involved with something around our community and they would love to help you. One of the best ways that we can live the mission is in our Christian community, in the community of God's people. We need to understand that this isn't a solo project, it's a community project. And so are we inviting others into this sphere of influence, into these groups of people? Remember, you're you're not meant to do this alone. You could, you know, do something really simple and fun. You could go to the Rangers game with your community group members and invite some people from work or from some other avenue that may not know Jesus and live this mission together. Let's say a huge and primary area is in our homes. If we are a family if we have a family, um, are we living on mission with our kids? Are we being intentional in the discipleship of our kids and not relying solely on the church to do that for us? There are so many resources, so many, for you to disciple your kids. Think about what does what the, the time of your family revolve around? Does it revolve around baseball and other activities, or does it revolve around being the light of the world and showing your kids the importance of the gospel? In our actions, just our everyday actions, it's so simple as asking the question, what's coming out of our mouths? Are we constantly complaining and whining and grumbling and pushing others down and gossiping about what he did and what she did, or are we remaining positive? Are we trusting in the Lord to handle the situations that we don't like that we're in? Are we being encouraging and giving life-giving words to those around us? Do we exhibit grace to others? Do we extend mercy to others? Do we love well? How do we handle conflict in our lives? Are we entering into those times with a spirit of resolve? One of the biggest ways I believe that we see from the scriptures on how to be a light in the world, how to be salt of the earth, is how we handle suffering. How we handle hardships that come our way. Do people see when you walk through suffering that this hardship doesn't make you this self-centered, self-pitied, mean-spirited person now? See, when we rejoice in suffering and have a joy that is unbreakable, it causes people to wonder, what are they hoping in? When things that are dear to us have been taken away from us, it causes people to ask questions when we still have hope. We reflect the light of Jesus profoundly when we walk through those dreadful times latched on to the hope of Jesus, when we are proclaiming the truth of him and the hope of him in the midst of those unexplainable moments, when we have a peace that surpasses all understanding, when we are able to echo the words of Paul that these light, momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory to come, Therefore we rejoice in those dark, dreadful moments of life. The light of our eternal security and our trust in the sovereign grace of our Lord beams through the darkness for all to see. There's so many practical, everyday things that we can begin to implement by just sitting down and being intentional with our time. Because of what we've just seen of who we are and why we are to live this mission, I think it's right to call everyone in here who who is a believer in Jesus Christ and confesses that they believe in Him and claim Him to take some time today, this week, this month and ask the Lord, how can I be more intentional in my life and in my time and then to actually implement those things. You guys pray with me.